Good morning and welcome to another episode of Healing Through Pain. I'm your host, Steph, and this is a show that dives into health and healing, where we discuss how we can show up well for the responsibilities and opportunities that life sends our way. Today, we're going to talk about the key differences between a crisis and a trauma and why we should be intentional with the words we use to describe events in our lives. Thanks so much for tuning in. All right, so as we get started here, I'm going to do just a little bit of vocabulary parceling out and really focus on understanding when we clinically talk through what is a crisis versus what is a trauma. It's important to understand that I I think culturally we're inaccurately using language. Um, This is especially concerning when I'm working with middle schoolers, high schoolers, and college kids where showing up late is a crisis or someone speaking poorly to them is a trauma. And we use that language. And while I don't want to negate that when someone's feeling big emotions, we, we shouldn't handle them and acknowledge them. To use words like this is a crisis or this is traumatic or this is a trauma, often it's inaccurate. And so I want to kind of pinpoint some understanding of what constitutes a crisis, what constitutes trauma, and hopefully we can be a little bit more discerning when we choose to narrate our life stories. So a crisis is an intense short-term time of distress when your normal stress management strategies are proving to be insufficient. Now, what's interesting with both crises and traumas are they're based on our perception. And so while one person might have um, run out of gas and they're stranded on the side of the road and a second person might have run out of gas and they're stranded on the side of the road, one might experience it as a crisis because they don't have the resources to navigate that well. And someone else may be able to just open up their cell phone, make a call, wait five minutes, and a, and a friend has dropped gas off to them and they go about their day so it's not a crisis. And so it is based on perception of resources or the reality of resources that we have. And there's several different ways crises can show up. Um, There's developmental crises. So and we don't necessarily think of a crisis as a bad thing in all contexts. It's just going to create distress and some sort of imbalance in our um, in our management systems. So, for example, there's developmental crises, and this could be related to something as as big of a blessing as having a child or having a child graduate. While these are great things, it could be a very big adjustment, and so it might develop by way of a crisis in some people's lives. There's also environmental crises, meaning something's going on in our environment. And when we talk about environmental crises, there's often, we can think of natural disasters. We can also think of man-made disasters. Now, interestingly, again, as people might experience a crisis together, they're, they're going to have their own unique understanding of it. We understand that a trauma response from an environmental crisis is often far more aligned with man-made disasters than with natural disasters. That's just kind of a, a side point here. So we experience it differently if it's something imposed kind of by our neighbors versus something that just happens. And a lot of that is based on the stories we tell ourselves about how things have unfolded. A third type of crisis is an existential crisis. And I feel like, you know, this becomes somewhat of a, a punchline 
online sometimes too. But this is where people start to question what is the purpose of this? What What's the meaning of this? And they feel an overwhelm and an inability, at least for a short amount of time, to navigate whatever the, the moment um, in front of them is. We also have situational crises. And this is where something happens. It's unexpected. It's outside of our control. Let's say you go to work today and someone um, decides that you're going to be fired or you're the victim of violence. Again, there might be a trauma response on the other side of that, but in the moment, the situation is the crisis. And if you don't have resources to deal with it, um, it's, it's considered a situational crisis. And then the last category is we have a psychiatric crisis. This is referring to when there's substance abuse that is developing in a really chaotic and unsafe way. Um, it could also be related to a mental health situation. So someone is engaging in um, suicidal thinking. Maybe there's a little bit of a psychotic break going on. Those would be crises. Now, again, it can develop into a trauma response, but a crisis is talking about short-term distress when our stress management systems kind of go offline or cannot grapple with whatever the situation is in front of us. Now, trauma is going to be kind of the next step, or it's going to be repeated exposure, longer-term implications often. It's also referring to a lack of resources, but what happens in a crisis is usually within a few days, our bodies are able to come back into what we would call homeostasis, where we we figure out our resources, we kind of reappraise things, and our bodies settle in um, back to kind of their set point. Trauma doesn't necessarily allow for that. So what happens is we have this big overwhelm that's taken place, and now I'm going to have physiological responses where I'm engaging in things like um, hypervigilance, perhaps I have sleep issues, perhaps I have memory issues and inability to focus, perhaps there are mood disturbances. And the thing with trauma is our bodies don't like being out of homeostasis. So within a very short amount of time, our bodies, our minds, our, our psyche is going to start to wrestle with and seek out ways to self-soothe. And this is not necessarily what we see in a crisis. It's more going to be what we see when a trauma response is happening. And again, trauma responses, and we, we call it PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. A lot of the literature now is actually changing it to post-traumatic stress reaction or post-traumatic stress response because it isn't just this disorder that happens to you. It's how you navigate whatever the, the crisis is and how you choose to kind of recover from the crisis. That's where we get a lot of trauma responses potentially. So because my body seeks out homeostasis, if I have this really big thing that's happened and my body can't like go back to a set point, I start to find resources to bring it as, as back to set point as possible. And post-trauma, you you might not be able to ever achieve what once was, and, and we acknowledge that because trauma often can change the trajectory of, of your normal. But um, this is where we see a lot of addictions really show up. So a, a way to self-soothe is to start drinking more regularly or perhaps using some sort of substance that maybe you wouldn't have considered before. Um, I, I think marijuana is a very kind of culturally normalized one to deal with stress right now. And so perhaps you start to abuse um, substances. Perhaps you decide to start eating. If you look at a lot of trauma reactions, you know, we've talked in past episodes on there's, you know, it's, it's a correlation 
correlation. It's not necessarily causation, but there's a big correlation between trauma, sexual abuse, and obesity because one of the things that people choose to do is to self-soothe through food intake. And so that would be a trauma response where the goal is to bring your body back down into a place where you can actually manage the anxiety somewhat better. When I'm working with a client who is in a crisis, what we're going to do specifically is we're going to identify what the issue is. We're going to make sure that there's safety for them and then provide support where we're deciding, okay, what are my choices? What are my resources? When I'm dealing with someone who's in a trauma response, it looks quite differently. Now, first, I am going to make sure that safety is achievable and it's something that's ongoing for them to the extent that we can allow it or um, ensure it. But with trauma, we're going to have to do some acknowledging what's happened. We're going to have to remember it. We're probably going to have to, in most cases, engage the grief cycle. We're going to talk through, you know, anger and denial and bargaining and depression and acceptance because the body is locking in something bad has happened here. And we're going to have to understand that acknowledging the event and processing through it and letting it generate energy and moving that energy through us is part of what trauma treatment would look like. And then we have to reconnect with ordinary life. In a crisis, there's not necessarily this recalibration with life that goes on. Post-trauma, there often is where you have to reconnect, establish a new normal, establish some type of new way of understanding and a new way of moving forward. And that's because it, we've been thrown off kilter and our set point has probably in many cases been ruptured or at least um, somewhat manipulated. Now, trauma can show up through one-time events that are so overwhelming, um, we're immobilized. I feel like many of us have probably heard the flight, fight, freeze response. And then there's also fawning. And I've more recently been, the word flocking has come up as well in recent literature. But fight or flight is when the body goes into an automatic response and we're not using our reasoning our, our prefrontal cortex. Um, in, in a crisis, that might happen, but usually in a trauma, that's, that's what the body is doing. It's going into survival mode. It's doing what it can to just exist and be as safe as possible through the situation. And so that energy gets built up. And I think it was um, The Body Keeps the Score from uh, Bessel van der Kolk. I believe he used the analogy of, let's say there's um, two squirrels and they're out in the woods and they're fighting and, you know, they're they're clawing each other and they're, I don't know what squirrels do. What do they do? They're biting each other, pulling each other's hair, whatever that looks like, hitting each other with their tails. But what you'll notice is when they're done, they don't just like go jump up in a tree and fall asleep. They actually shake out their entire bodies for, for a pretty significant amount of time to release the energy that's been built up. Because when you're in fight or flight, you have so many different hormones and stress chemicals running in your body that you've got to do something with it. Which is why when someone does have a traumatic reaction and then um, they just shut down afterwards, it, it's trapping that energy in really unsustainable ways. Which is why if I go back to last week's episodes when we're talking about sexual abuse, if kids aren't allowed to process through stuff, well, not, not only are they creating their own stories, but their bodies remembering what unsafety feels like because we don't process through it and skill build and try to help them navigate it in um, as, as safe and as helpful a way as possible. So again, with trauma, you do have to establish safety. 
We have to remember and mourn what's gone on, and then we have to reconnect with our new normal. Some of the research says that um, when we do have crisis or trauma potential, your body starts to seek homeostasis within 72 hours, which means three short days. You're looking already at self-soothing strategies showing up very, very quickly. If a body doesn't return to homeostasis within you know, a week or so, it's going to do anything it can to take off the pressure because our, our brain and our anxiety cannot stay at such an escalated level without any type of intervention. And keep in mind, back when we did the habit formation episode, it takes about a scant three weeks to start locking in um, soft-wired patterns into our brain. And so we, we talked in that episode about making sure that you're pulling in healthy habits. Keep in mind, though, that maladaptive habits run that same process. So if I'm choosing to do something and setting up a bad habit, within a few short weeks, that becomes my new normal. And so one of the one of the things I work through with clients is talking about, let's be intentional about not creating habits here that you will have to recover from in the long term. Now, we can't always avoid that. Again, within a very short amount of time, we, we might pull in maladaptive strategies. But the more we do the maladaptive strategy, the more it becomes the solution and the more locked in it becomes to the habit. And that's why it does get really concerning when we have crises happen and traumas happen. Um, it, it gets really concerning if we don't have people to walk with us through them because maladaptive choices can be a byproduct of going through really big events. And so back to the start of the episode, one of the main goals here is helping us use our words well. And again, I think especially with, with our teenagers and with our young adults, we have to be discerning with how we use the word crisis. You getting in a skirmish with someone is not a crisis typically. You being late for work is not a crisis. Not getting the the correct drink order is just not a crisis. And furthermore, engaging conflict is not traumatic usually. Having someone disagree with you, it's just not a traumatic event. And if we don't handle our words well, not only are we misusing them, but we start to escalate things in our mind and in our body and in our emotions in inappropriate ways. Because if I get the wrong drink order and I've identified that as a crisis, now my emotions react accordingly. It's just not accurate. We really have to, if we're using these words wrong, we have to recalibrate them to their actual meaning because it is going to be important to navigate life more accurately, navigate our emotions more accurately, and also to pay reverence and respect for those who are going through actual crises and actual traumatic experiences, equating harsh words from someone or equating not getting invited to places or equating uh, some sort of unfortunate event to a crisis or to a trauma. It's just inaccurate. That's where we're going to end it today. If you've been following along this long, thank you so much for tuning in. I always appreciate it. If you're willing to like or share or follow, those are always appreciated gestures. Also, you may email me at healingthroughpain21 if you have questions. Thanks so much, guys. I hope you enjoy your week.